welcome to episode 5 of Popper's Gage, the classic Popper podcast. My name is Gabo and I'll be one of your hosts today. And we've got the whole gang on the line today. I've got Dime Collector. He, uh, he's back. Hey Dime, how are you doing? Pretty good. You finally managed to snag all three of us, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a difficult to get you guys. You, you have a busy schedule. And on the other line, we've got Love. Now, I will never pronounce your name properly, so you better pronounce it again for everyone. Uh, Love, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fine, and the pronunciation of the name is Lova. Uh, Lova. Yeah, it's, it's pretty strange, but <laughs> and yeah, we, we've had some uh, scheduling problems, but it's mostly due to time zones. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you're you're you know in Europe, uh, we're over here in America, and uh, it's it's hard to find. Uh, a good time. But yeah. uh, here we are, all of us. <clears throat> Excuse me, my throat seems to be giving up on me. Uh, before we go on, I want to follow up with some comments we received from the previous episodes. A very friendly guy named Sam posted a comment on the blog saying that he noticed that the audio sounded rather compressed. The thing is, there are certain bandwidth and storage limitations from the site that is kindly doing us the favor of publishing our, our podcast. That would be mtgcast.com. And we have to respect that. So, well, the compressed audio is one of the trade-offs. Other than that, Sam was very happy with our episode 4 and enjoyed the open attitude towards possibly niche cards. He was very pleased to find that Dime Collector's favorite card was Night Peddler. Yeah, that guy's pretty fun. I've only got a chance to play him in a game or two so far, but uh, he the Soul Bond stuff is actually pretty neat. We also had another comment from good old Space Crab. He thought that we were definitely improving and hopes we continue to make more shows, and hopefully we will. So, let's let's dive right in. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Empty the Warrens Red Blue Storm deck. Uh, and Louvre has been grinding with this deck and getting a lot of experience. And he's talked to some other people who who have also been grinding it and and know a lot about it. So we're going to pick your brain. Um, so let's start with a with an overview of the deck uh, to to people who aren't familiar with the deck. How does it work? What what's all right? It? Uh, the deck works as it's uh, doing something that is called sculpting their hand. They use search spells uh, such as preordain, ponder, and impulse to find uh, all the pieces of the combo. Uh, so you need. Mana to cast a spell, so lands, a few. Uh, you know, only in access to, like, two or three mana. And then you need four spells, which are rituals. And rituals, they you cast a spell and they give you more mana, so you pay two red and you get three red in return. Or you pay three red and get five red in return. So you cast four ritual spells. And then you cast an empty the warrants, which has storm. And storm means that when you cast the spell... For every spell cast previously this turn, it is copied. So instead of just getting one goblin, or two go- one copy of the spell, two goblins, you get two goblins for every previous spell. So you need to have cast four spells, and then cast a warren. That will give you a grand total of ten goblins. And then uh, the last piece of the combo is goblin bushwhacker, 
which you play, and he gives all your creatures plus one, plus zero, and haste, which means you can attack the same turn and you deal a total of 22 damage. All right, so that's pretty explosive. Okay, I want to point out that this is actually a variant of, of, a, of a general storm deck that also exists that uh, also adds black. Um, we won't be going into that, that version of the deck today, uh, maybe in a future podcast, but we'll probably compare it uh, in various parts of the episode. Yeah. Okay, um, so <clears throat> let's. I'd, I'd like to ask you a little bit about why why you why some of the parts of this deck are in the deck in, instead of others. Um, okay. For example, there there are various uh, choices that you can have for the the mana enablers. And what what are the ones that you chose for the deck you're using? Uh, I chose to play. I and most players of the deck chose choose to play the storage lands for starters. The they are the lands that come into play tapped and with two storage counters on them, mm-hmm. and then you tap them and they give you two of one type of mana. You have red one and you have the blue one, sandstone needle and supper sun scary. Yep. Those are the first mana enablers. Uh, and the mana enabler that is in every deck is Lotus Petal. Yep. You can't play this deck without the Lotus Petal, pretty much. It slows down the deck too much. And, uh, well, the only choice when it comes to mana enablers is if how many rituals you should play. Okay. Um, because you have Right of Flame, which is the most mana efficient one after you can if you, if you have one right of flame in the graveyard it's the most mana efficient one so you always play four of those and you play four desperate ritual and you play four seeding song these 12 rituals is the core uh, you will rarely see a blue red war, war and boast without these 12 cards in the deck uh, what I chose to do I added three pyretic ritual because I felt I needed more rituals okay um, Pirate Ritual and Desperate Ritual uh, do the same thing. They, you pay two mana and give, get three mana in return. Uh, right of Flame is costs one red mana and gives you two red mana back and one additional red mana for each Right of Flame in your graveyard. So yeah. first you get two, one mana back, then you get two, then you get three, then you get four. And um, that is pretty much the enablers. Okay. Uh, I noticed uh, Desperate Ritual also has the Arcane Clause, I believe. Um, yes. Does that come into play often, or is that just just a little it's bit gray? It's a little gimmicky, but it can help. <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, the risk of using the Splice onto Arcane Clause with Desperate Ritual, because the Splice cost and the costing cost is the same, the risk you will run there is if you get the spell countered, you don't get anything. So you pay four mana and get none back. Oh, yes. If it gets countered. Good point. That's a very good point. Um, okay. So, now, I don't think there's too much to say about the finishers. You mentioned Empty the Warrens and uh, Goblin Bushwhacker. So I think yeah. that's clear. Um, 
Have, are there any versions that might use Grape Shot, which is also used in the in the other Storm deck? Um, the problem with Grape Shot is that you need to cast a lot more spells. Uh, Grape Shot is has the same clause as Empty the Warrant, which is Storm, so you get copied for every spell cast. This includes the opponent spell, so if you cast Instance, those are added to the Storm count. Okay. But Grape Shot deals one damage to target creature or player. Which means if you only have one grape shot, you need to have cast an, a 19 additional spells that turn. Yeah. Which is a lot. If you have two grape shots, you need to have cast 10 spells that turn. And that is, I like to say, almost impossible for at least my iteration of the deck. Because to be able to cast nine spells and then two grape shots, you need to have draw, a draw engine besides the ritual. And the draw spells I cast only fetch you one card. Ah, I see. Okay, that makes sense. So, so this is more about um, just preparing your hand, as you said, sculpting it, and then just going off. You don't want to be, uh, well, you want to try and avoid risking an unknowns, as in, you, you know, just trying to draw into. Yeah, you only go off uh, without the entire combo if you absolutely have to. Yeah, okay. Now, let's talk a little bit about the, the what do we call them, card diggers, the card draw? Because you do have some options, and you have some options in the order in which you can play them, and when you can play them. So, yes. let's hear your thoughts on those. Well, the, I, I've played 12, and those are 4 Ponder, 4 Preordain, and 4 Impulse. Uh, now... Ponder, Ponder and Preordain is an interesting interaction when you have one of each in your hand. Uh, I am still a little bit unsure of which I prefer to play first. Uh, Ponder sees one more card because it looks at you can you may look at the top three of your card of your library. Uh, you may put them back in any order, and then you may choose to shuffle your library. And after you've done all that, you draw a card. And Preordain, on the other hand, is just Scry 2, which just looks on the top two of your library. However, the difference is that you can put one at the bottom and then one on the top. So if you want one of the cards and not the other one, you may choose which one. But with the Ponder, if you like one of the cards and dislike the other two, you have a problem. Yeah. And Impulse is the best one. But I'll get back to the Ponder and Preordain first. I usually play Ponder first, because it sees more cards. Okay. And then I start using Preordained after I'm done Pondering. Or if I, for example, see one card I want and two I don't, I'll just Ponder once, Preordain, put the two I don't want on the bottom, and then draw a card. Okay, sounds good. And you don't really have anything else you can substitute those two cards with. Uh, the only ones that are uh, any in any way similar are uh, Serum Visions and Slate of Hand. I don't know if Slate of Hand is actually common. Is, is Slate of Hand common? It is, alright. Uh, those two have pretty much the same effect, but they don't dig as well. So those two, you should just get Ponder or Prior Day, and they are bulk, so it doesn't cost any extra. Yeah. I've seen a few lists with uh, Brainstorm and also with Gitaxian Probe, and I was wondering how you felt about those cards in the deck. 
Oh, right, yeah. Uh, there is one uh, person who has been really crushing the dailies lately, and he's called 8686. His deck is a little bit different. It plays uh, four fetch lands, two Evolving Wilds and two Terramorphic Expanse, to shuffle the deck. He plays almost only basic lands. He plays none of the storage lands. And he plays Brainstorm and Gush. This is an entirely different iteration of the deck mm. uh, based on the mana base. Because you play basic lands for a few reasons. One is that you they're more stable. They don't come into play tapped. But they only mm. tap for one mana. Storage lands tap for two. But here you can have fetches. And say you Brainstorm. Brainstorm does the same thing as Ponder, except that you can put back... You draw three, and then you can put back any two. So say you draw three, and you get cards you want. You can put back two cards you don't want, like extra the ones or extra bushwhackers, on the mm -hmm. top. And then if you have a Terramorphic Expanse or Evolving Wilds, you use that, and you shuffle away the cards you don't want. Uh, I do not like Brainstorm in a deck that does not have a shuffling effect. Mm. But I do like Brainstorm in a deck that has a shuffling effect. So if you look at the draw cards for my deck, I use... Four Impulse, four Ponder, four Preordain. Mm -hmm. I'll talk more about Gitaxian Probe later. Yep. And uh, 8686, play Gush, Brainstorm, and Ponder, and Preordain. Yep. So he does not have Impulse. Uh, he instead has Brainstorm and Gush. He plays, he says himself that he prefers Brainstorm to uh, Impulse, since mm -hmm. you can get away cards you don't want from your hand. But he would only play them with the fetch lands. And he especially loves Gush. <laughs> now, Gush is a spell that costs a lot to cast with his mana cost. It costs a total of five mana, four colors and one blue. Uh, but you can, instead of paying its original cost, you can instead return two islands to your hand. And what it does is it draws two cards. So you can tap the two islands for mana and then bounce them and play Gush. And then you draw two cards, and then you can put uh, one of the islands back if you haven't played a land that turn. So Gush here acts as a little mini ritual, yeah. which gives you one mana and two cards. Uh, so he has a little bit different take on it. Uh, Impulse, uh, on my version, is my favorite of the bunch. It is, does, however, cost a little bit, but I would not replace it, as some people have done, with Peer Through the Depths. Mm. Uh, Peer Through the Depths looks... Five cards in your library, you may take any instant or sorcery and put it into your hand. While Impulse, you look at the top four of your library, but you may take any of the cards, and any of the card, any card of the four, and put yeah. the rest in your library. So Pair Through Death look one deeper, but Impulse will not get you a land or a bushwhacker, which mm -hmm. I feel is a big drawback. So there's, there's, two, uh, there's another, I guess, um, classification of cards... And that would be that would include Taxium Probe and Manamorphose. These are cards that uh, I guess just they don't cost anything. They draw you a card. They're Storm Count cards. Yes. Uh, how important are these to the deck? Well, uh, Manamorphose is what I would call the loosest card in the deck. If something gets printed. That may, or you want to replace it with something. Monomorphos is the first card to be cut because it's a huge counter target. It hurts when it's countered. It costs two mana, 
uh, you may, when it resolves, you may add two mana of any color to your, uh, of your mana to your color mana pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it costs two mana. So it costs a red slash green. So either red or green and one colorless. And it can work as if you only have drawn mountains, you can use it to get blue mana. And when it resolves, you draw a card. So it costs nothing and it draws you a card. So it's pretty much as you said, it's a storm count card. Uh, the other storm camp card you mentioned is Gitaxian Probe. Now this, I feel, is one of the most difficult cards in the deck to play with, uh, because you want, it, it costs either, I can start with what it does, it costs either blue or two life, so it's what we call a Phyrexian Mana. It's a sorcery speed card, it draws your card when it plays it, but most importantly, it lets you look at your opponent's hand. So you want to be sitting on them as long as possible, because what your opponent has in hand is irrelevant until the turn you go off. You don't care what he has in his hand until you're about to go off. Mm. So you want to sit on them because you want them for storm count. On the other hand, you want to draw lands. So if you haven't drawn a land and you are starving for land, which you will be, (laughs) uh, you might want to play it to try to get a land. But then you won't get the storm count. So it's a bit of a evaluation, what you need now and what you, when, what you might need later. I've actually played the, the 8686 version with Gushes and Brainstorms. Um, and I find it's important to play your Ponders and, and uh, Preordains and, and your card draws, you know, in, in the first turns, even though they won't help you so much, uh, I guess, uh, in, in the storm count, but that's when you're sculpting your hand, right? And using yeah. a Gitaxian Probe or a Manamorphose in these early terms can count as sculpting your hands. Yes. I have seen and I have done several times. I sit with, like, I have one of the red storage lands in play, mm-hmm. uh, and it's untapped. It's the only mana I have in play. Two red. I can tap it for two red. And I have one ponder, one preordain in hand, and I have a manamorphose. I would never hesitate to tap the two red, play the manamorphose, add two blue, and then play both preordain and ponder, even if it uses the manamorphose and stuff, because I really need to dig for cards. Yeah. So using the manamorphose uh, early for such an occasion is not a problem. Uh, I would save them for as long as possible. Same thing with Gitaxian Probe. Save them for as long as possible. Okay. Well, I think we've we've talked about how to play the the deck uh, on a basic level. Uh, it is possible to get a first turn kill with this deck. You, would you agree with that? Yes, I would agree. It would need a very good hand, however. Um, you would need a lotus petal. Yes. Well. Yeah. It require. I, wait, does it? Well, if you have basic lands, you can use a basic land. Yeah, you need either a Lotus Petal or an, um, a Mountain and a Rite of Flame. Yes. To start. You need the two mana to start. And then, then you, you play uh, each increasingly more powerful ritual spells. Yes. So this turn would go something like this. Do you want me to elaborate? Uh, yeah, I think that's yeah, a, sure. it's an, it's so an interesting say, experiment. Yeah, so let's say you have... I'll try to remember seven cards. You have a hand with Mountain... I'll go with the easy one. Mountain, Lotus Petal, and you have three rituals, 
Uh, and these, these can be Rite of Flame, Desperate Ritual, Piratic Ritual, or Ceiling Song. I'll explain each as I go. Yeah. So you play the mountain, mm-hmm. tap it, for, now I have one ran, ma- red mana, you play the Rite of Flame. Yep. So you have no red mana, the spell resolves, now you have two red mana. Yep. With this, you play a Desperate Ritual or a Piratic Ritual. They do the same. They both, both cost one colorless, one red, and they give you three red mana. Okay, so we have three so red now, mana now. So when you play one of them, you have zero mana, and then when it resolves, you have three mana. Now you play the other one you had. So now you have, first you have one mana, then you get four. And now you play the most powerful ritual in the deck, which is Seething Song, mm-hmm. which gives your, which takes three mana to cast and gives you five. Okay. When that resolves, you have six mana in your pool. And six mana, three of these must be red, is something that is called a critical mass. Yeah. Because now you have enough mana to cast Empty the Warrens and cast a go- Goblin Bushwhacker with Kicker. Yes. You need to pay the kicker of Goblin Bushwhacker to get the good effect, to get extra attack. Mm-hmm. And then you play Bushwhacker. Uh, we have played... We didn't even need the petal, but we play the petal. Then we play the... <laughs> I said wrong here. Right. Yep. You play the petal first. Then you play Empty the Warrens. Mm-hmm. Now we have played petal, Rite of Flame, one Desperate Ritual, another Desperate Ritual, and a Seeding Song. This is five spells. Yeah, I think so that's actually... One, well, one extra. Yeah, we played five spells, and then comes Empty the Warrens. Okay. So we have Empty the Warrens plus five copies on the stacks. We have six Empty the Warrens on the stack, which gives us a six times two, twelve goblin okay. tokens. And with this, we have two red mana left in the pool, and we play a goblin bushwhacker with kicker, which gives them all plus one plus zero and haste. And we attack in for 26 damage. Yeah. So you actually didn't need the, the that extra lotus petal there. You just no, need to play four four spells and get to six mana. So just the mountain and the right of flame, two yeah. other rituals, seeding song. But you need to have mountain, mm-hmm. right of flame, two of the rituals, seeding song, empty the warrants, and bushwhacker. That is seven cards. Yeah. Yeah. So just 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 enough. But it, it's pretty awesome when it happens. <laughs> it is possible, but it's difficult. Let's go back a little bit to um, the the version of the deck that 8686 uses. Um, yeah. There is another reason for why he, he likes that deck, and I think that is Lavadart. Yes. Uh, as I was talking to 8686 about this deck, uh, I became more and more interested in Lavadart. Uh Lavadart costs one red mana, it deals one damage to target creature or player, and then it has flashback with a flashback cost of sacrifice a mountain. This is the second reason he played basic lands, or third reason he played basic lands. Uh, so he can have a mountain to stack the Lavadart. This adds two storm count for one red mana, which is really good. But that is not the primary reason. The primary reason is that all of the creatures that can counter this deck have one toughness. Yeah. <laughs> so he plays a main deck answer to all of the creatures that host the deck. So you're talking about uh, Martyr of Ashes and Suture Priests, cards like that? Mart- Martyr of As- Ashes, yeah. Suture Priests, Crypt Rats, Crock uh, Clan Sham- Shaman, 
And it also negates such spells as Echoing Decay and Echoing Truth, because it can ping <laughs> open that is targeted to make the spell fizzle. Yeah, that's cute. Actually, talking about that, I've seen some versions which might include uh, a goblin sledder or a mog raider uh, yeah. that, that have the sacrifice ability so that you can sacrifice any goblins in case they do, um, you know, one of those echoing spells. And it, it actually also counteracts things like sandstorms, which deals one damage yes. to all creatures. So you sack half of your goblins, put them on top of the other. Um, yes, uh, I lost to that. Me playing oh. goblins, and I had a martyr and ashes in play, and I only had one red card in hand, and I used it, and he had sledder in play. Oh, so he could just sack half his goblins to the other goblins, and they were now two twos, soon to be three twos, and attacking for lethal anyway. So that is one thing to consider in the sideboard or main deck. I'm also seen it in the sideboard. Okay, the goblin sledder. <clears throat> So, in, in your version of the deck, you use a lightning bolt uh, in the in place of lava dart when you need to get rid of these uh, utility creatures, right? Yeah. Uh, I would say that lava dart is better okay. after trying. I'm actually more partial to 8686 version of the deck than my own. Uh, I have not actually played his deck, but what I've seen from it, it seems very finely tuned and better against the meta as it is. Okay. Then you might have a, a hard time answering this question I, I wanted to ask you, which is, what is the um, benefit, well, what, what, what are the pros of your original version? Why would somebody want to play the version that has depletion lands and impulse? Because it is, first of all, more explosive, since we get lands that tap for two mana instead of one. And that is a big part as well not only in explosiveness, but also in playing against control. Because when you play against control, if you can get your several storage lands in play, you are very likely to win. Because imagine this scenario, you have three storage lands in play, okay. and a basic. You have drawn a lot of lands. And you start playing spells, rituals. And they can't really counter your rituals, because you have so much mana in play. And if they play a counter, they add to the storm count. <laughs> and even if they counter the rituals, you can just say, oh, okay, I'll just play an empty the worms of my lands instead. Uh, that is a good thing to have against control, yep. which 8686 decks lack. Okay. And uh, it, it's also slightly quicker with the storage lands than the uh, only basic lands. It could be, like, statistically half a turn quicker or something. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because you get that, yeah, that one extra, yeah, one extra increase. Okay. Um, all right, I have one, one more question here. Uh, mulliganing. I always have a hard time knowing what to mulligan, what to keep. Um, is there, is there like a line that you draw when you say, <laughs> oh, anything less than this, I'm gonna mulligan? Uh, yes, I almost Always mulligan, no landers. Uh, some are close, but I, I would never keep a hand with, say, a lotus petal and a ponder and okay. all spells. That is too risky. Mm. Uh, I uh, unless it's the, the one turn uh, hand, right? Where you just win. Yes, of course. If I can, if I, if I can win that turn, then I will keep. Okay. Uh, 
and I evaluate every hand. But what I want is I want search spells or two parts of the combo. So I want either I want two parts of Ritual, Empty the Warrens, or Bushwhacker. Okay. Uh, so I want either Ritual, Empty the Warrens, or Ritual, Bushwhacker. But most important is I really, really want search cards. Because if you don't get them, you sit there and you feel very exposed. Yes. Since you're just drawing from the top of your deck and not knowing what will come. Mm. Okay. But I would never say keep a hand. I would... It's difficult. It's really, really, really difficult. It depends on what you're up against and what the actual hand is and such. But, say, keeping a hand with only rituals is suicide. Uh, I could <laughs> keep a hand with only search spells, but I don't really recommend that either. That would be too slow, right? Yes. Mm. So I, would, I want two parts of the combo and preferably draw spells. Okay. Which my line. All right. I actually have two questions uh, about the deck before we go into the matchups. Go ahead. So uh, going back to the basic lands versus the, the storage lands, uh, I'm just curious about how many lands do you usually need to go off? Because when I play against this deck, it seems like they're, they're usually fine just on even two lands is, is okay. Is that about average? Uh, yeah, that is about average. Uh the, uh, the usual case I found with my version of the deck is I play a storage land on turn one, and then I untap, and then I have a play a basic land or another storage land, and then with those two lands I can easily go off. Mm. Uh, it depends on how much I need to search, but two lands is sufficient. 8686 uh, deck plays no pyretic rituals, which I play. So it only plays the basic 12 rituals I spoke of earlier, where, while I play 15. He does, however, play 15 lands, whereas I play 13. Huh. So he has two more lands in his deck. Which is, it's, you see, you see uh, storage lands that, that goes as low as 12, and you see them go up yeah. to 15. It's a preference thing, usually. Uh, but you only need two lands to go off. In, in uh, eight, 8686 deck, uh, one important thing to consider is that lands that you draw in a turn that you haven't played a land, you can play them and use them. Yes. Uh, on the other hand, the storage lands, you, you can't actually use them the turn you play them. They so, are dead cards. Yeah. But that is the thing and the major difference between this blue-red one and the blue-red-black one. When you have the blue-red one, you know exactly which spells you're going to play, in which order, and how much storm you will have, and how much damage it would deal. You will have the entire turn planned out because it's only five or six spells. With the blue-red-black one, you will never have that luxury. You need to start, okay, I can go off. I need to try. You will never have the assemble the entire combo to mm. go off. So drawing the mid-combo is not as big a problem for this deck as for the blue-red-black one, but it is annoying. But you don't usually play draw spells to turn to go off. Only if you have mana and spells to spare. So what was your other question, Doug? Uh I'm actually just curious how difficult do you think it is to pilot this deck in, in comparison to the other decks in the format? Because it seems a little tricky to me. Um, 
the difficulty level of this deck, it's a little bit interesting. To pilot it well enough to play it in dailies and be break-even is not particularly difficult. Hmm. Like step A, use search spells to assemble combo. Step B, play combo. Step 3, kill. <laughs> uh, it's really easy. But to play the more intricate part of the deck is extremely difficult. It has a lot more intricacies than you than you can imagine. For example, I have lost when I, I played. I had a, a, a brief stint of playing the Cloud Pose deck, and I lost to a eight six eight six version deck player that hydroblasted his own goblin that I had targeted with my Echoing Truth. Oh wow! So he killed it with a hydroblast. Such plays, <laughs> for example, shows mm-hmm. experience. Uh, but it's not extremely difficult to learn to pilot proficiently. But to be really good, it takes a lot. You need to know exactly what all the cards do. And you start to get into probabilities. And it's it's really difficult. But I would recommend anyone to play it who likes combo. So you'd say it's easy to learn but difficult to master. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, I, I could say I had that exact experience. And it, it is a lot of fun. It's it's especially rewarding when you get one of those turn one or two kills. Feels good. <laughs> oh, it feels so unfair. It does. It just sits there and does nothing. But <laughs> it, it also feels pretty good when you when you play against a deck that does have a chance of disrupting you, and you're kind of racing to see if you can get the combo off before they can disrupt you, or even if you can get the combo off halfway and they just start attacking and then kind of recover and get the other, like, another round of the combo. There's, I think there are many... There's more to it. There's more interactivity to playing with and against this deck than people get credit for. Yes. There are things. Uh, such Just a quick thing I noted was when I went off early, I, I came from playing the blue-red-black one to this one. And then when I started going off, I threw all my spells and then cast my empty. And I was done. What I have seen good players do is play the bare minimum of going off and then keep a ritual or two in hand that they didn't need to play for the storm count to be able to draw an empty and go off a second time. Because they believe that their goblins are going to be killed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they play the first Empty the Warns to put enough pressure to force the hate card, and yeah. then they play another Empty the Warns. Now you have no hate card, I win. <laughs> yeah, that's a good strategy. I'm actually curious about something that you said earlier about uh, how you sequence your plays. Uh, go, go ahead. What, what are yeah. Okay. Uh, well, earlier you mentioned that you like to ponder first and then cast Preordain. Yes, uh, and I think that has the value of getting rid of some of the cards that you saw with the ponder that you didn't want. Yes. So say you know you cast ponder, you wanted one of the cards, and then you preordain away the other ones. Yes. Um, do you ever think it's worthwhile to cast a preordain first, just for the sake of trying to see a couple cards deeper? Like for instance, with a preordain, uh, at most, you could see three cards deep, and then with the Ponder, you, you could at most see another four cards deep. You, is that ever worthwhile, or do you think it's better to to reverse that play order? It depends. This is one thing about the being being learning the deck and mastering the deck. I am not good enough yet 
to be able to say if Ponder or Preordain first is better. I have I feel that Ponder first is better because you get the option to see the cards and then you can just draw them and then you play Preordain when you're done. But it's it's just a feeling. Uh, I have no real math or a very good reason for why I play Ponder first. Uh, okay. I, I have an opinion there. Um, if you're searching for one specific card, let's say you already have uh, the Rituals and the Empty the Warns, you're looking for a Bushwhacker, just one card. I think if you want, if if you're looking for that, you want to play Ponder. Sorry, Preordain first, and then Ponder, because then you get to see the most amount of cards, uh, like Dime said, because. Uh, you, you you go through two cards. They're not bushwhacker. You put them at the very bottom. Then you play uh, the ponder. You go through th- through three cards. If they're not the bushwhacker, you you shuffle and you get to see one more card. I should have thought of that. You are absolutely correct. So yeah, you're absolutely correct. It is better to play preordained first if you're searching for one specific card, say mm-hmm. one empty or one ritual yeah. or bushwhacker. But if you're still kind of sculpting your hand, you need multiple cards, then you want to do it the other way around. Yes. I, I actually have uh, a lot of issues when using Brainstorm, because I play the, 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 the version with Brainstorm. And with Brainstorm, it's, it's also hard to know which of the three you want to play first, uh, depending on the situation. <laughs> Brainstorm is probably the card I have the most respect for in the entire Magic. Uh, I have been to vintage tournaments where people uh, sit and wait and think for 10 minutes about their brainstorms. (laughs) Brainstorm is absurd. It's so extremely difficult to play properly. There's a really good video, I don't know if you guys have seen it on YouTube, there's a, a player named AJ Soccer, he has a show called AJ TV, and he did a whole entire episode about um, how to play Brainstorm correctly, it's like an hour long or something like that, and it's really interesting. I shall uh, watch that. Yeah, I, yeah, I'll have to take a look too. Well, I mean, his, his main thing with it is that um, more often than not, it's better to wait to cast your brainstorm until you know exactly what you want to draw, because, like you said, if you if you kind of cast brainstorm more more in a cavalier fashion, you'll be in these situations where you're not exactly sure what cards you want to keep. Yeah, and you go spend ten minutes thinking about it. <laughs> that is very true. Brainstorm is a card you need to not play for as long as possible until you know exactly what you need. Yeah, I'm going to take a look at that video, and I'll, I'll include the link in the show notes once I find it. Okay, cool. Yeah. I can just add here that AG Seisher uh, streams quite regularly on Twitch.tv. Okay. All right. Did you check out his uh, set review for Avacyn? I, I did not check it out. But I have not checked any set reviews. I am completely oh, okay. busy. His are pretty cool because he... He looks at the set as a whole without checking any spoilers beforehand. So every single card he's seeing for the first time and giving you his, you know, immediate reaction. So that's pretty neat to see. Yeah, he's a pretty good player, so that ought to be good. Yeah. Yeah. So before we start the matchups, I just want to mention the point again that, that you said... In general, Manamorphose is one of the cards you want to take out, right? Yes, that is correct. Okay. 
So for, uh, when we talk about sideboarding, that's probably going to be by default one of the cards we're going to take out. And if there are any others that just don't work against specific uh, matchups, we'll we'll mention them specifically. I think I board out Mana Morphose in every matchup. Actually, but I board it in for different cards every time, so I can't replace Mana Morphose. Yeah. Okay, let's start with, uh, I think, what is the most popular deck right now, and that would be Delver Blue. So the the aggro version of Blue Control. Um, first of all, is is this a good or a bad matchup for the deck? Well, it's it's tricky. Um, I feel they're it's even ish. I think they're slight. They're they're a little bit favored, maybe. Um, yeah, I, I have it as a bad matchup myself uh, because of their horrible. because they have both pressure. To make you, you know, have to hurry a lot to get your your combo out, and they have disruption in the form of echoing uh, echoing truth. They usually play two echoing truth main deck. Yes, and then they can have more, and they have counter spells, so yes. they can combat every single way you can to try and stop their disruption, and yes. they put you on a clock. Yeah, but what? Fairies need to do against you is, as you said, put you on a clock, which will make them empty their hand. They need to put on pressure, because if don't, they don't put on pressure, you are going to win, especially with my version with Storage Lands, because you're just going to have enough mana to just ignore every counterspell until you play Warrens. Hmm. But what I've seen some, at least some uh, Delver players do, is that they empty their hands so quickly that they don't keep counter mana up. And that is something that is up to for another time when we talk about mono blue fairies. But it's difficult to estimate for them how much pressure they have to put on and how many counter spells they need to keep up. For turn one, they will almost always drop either a Phantasmal Bear or a Delver. Okay. And that that's usually the case. Second turn, they might not play a creature. If they have a Cloud of Fairies, they will play it, but they might not play a creature. If they don't, uh, then it's difficult to say if you can go off through a counter or not. It's really, really situational dependent. What you want to do is go off as early as possible, especially game one. And you really don't want them reaching for mana untapped with pressure on the board. Because then they have mana for two counter spells, and that pretty much has you dead. <laughs> okay. Now, what what kind of cards can we sideboard in against them? We sideboard in... Uh, th- that's a little bit questionable. I, I sideboard in Pyroblasts. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I've tried Dispel. I'm unsure if it's good or not. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, that, those are my favorites. Because they're, they're, they can just be counterspells against their counterspells. Uh, I might add that Delver is our worst matchup. Uh, I board out... Manamorphose, as always. I board in Pyroblast. I might board out uh, one or two Pyretic Ritual and add in Dispel, because, it, as you said, it counters their counter, but most importantly, it counters their hate. Yes. And when I say hate, I mean any card that disrupts your combo, but especially hate is a reference to cards that kill all goblins, all cards in play. 
and as we mentioned earlier, Marshal of the Ashes, Crypt Rats, all things that deal one damage to everything on the board or bounce them. Okay. Yeah. Well, in, in this case, their main hate, I think, is Echoing Truth. Yes. And It's instant, so Dispel counters target instant. Yeah. Uh, what about Lava Dart? Do you, do you think that's useful to kind of stop the pressure, maybe disrupt their Spell, sp- spell Stutter Sprites, things like that? Uh, yes, you are very correct. Uh, it is... I, if I would play this deck now, I haven't played it for, like five, six days, I would change the lightning bolts in the board for a lava dart, and I might actually get one in the main, even in the storage deck, and I would definitely board in lava darts. Because lava dart in this matchup does. It, as you said, it counters the spell starter sprite. Uh, for those of you who don't know, spell starter sprite is a creature with flash, which means it can be played at instant speed. It costs two mana, and when it comes into play, it counters target spell that has a converted mana cost equal to or less than the number of fairies on the board. And it is a fairy itself. So if this is a fairy, this is the only fairy on the board, when he has played it, and he's going to counter a one-mana spell, you play Lava Dart on the uh, spell starter sprite, and suddenly he has zero fairies on the board, which means the ability doesn't counter your spell. Yeah, And, and also remember, you can Lava Dart your own... Uh, goblins. Yes. <laughs> to stop Lava echoing Dark. truth. Lava <laughs> also counters their hate as in yeah. echoing truth. And even if they counter the first one, you can always flashback it, sacrificing a mountain. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, would you say Gitaxium Probe is a card you don't want to sideboard out? This is like Gitaxium a... Probe is... I think I would board out Gitaxium Probe because if I needed to add more cards, I would board out Gitaxium Probe. In both yes and no. It's good to have information, but it also costs two life. And losing two life against a tempo deck, especially this tempo deck, is dangerous. But if you have Gitaxian Probe in, I would very much uh, emphasize that you should pay blue mana for it and not life, because that two life is going to be very critical. Okay. And, but how important do you think is, in this matchup, uh, just being able to see their hand because of those counter spells? It is very important. It's always important in the control matchups. Okay. Which is why I'm ambivalent if I should board it out or not. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, we, we have plenty of cards to board in. It's just a question of choosing what the best ones to board out are. So Metamorphose and maybe some Rituals, you said? Yeah, or you can also go board at the Gitaxian Probes. But I would think I'd rather board up Metamorphose and Pyratic Rituals than the Gitaxian Probes. Would you ever consider boarding out maybe one of each of your uh, card drawing spells? No. Card drawing spells are way, way, way too important to be boarded out. I would, however, consider boarding out Bushwhacker. Yeah. I was going to mention that uh, 8686 does that. Uh, Yeah. 8686 also only play three Bushwhacker main deck. Yeah. So I guess I would have thought it would be really important for this deck. Yeah, I would too, but he has had very good uh, feedback from only playing three and then boarding out one, because against he says against this deck, uh, against Delver Blue in general, it is not as important to kill the same turn as you combo off. I noticed with these sideboard choices, Dispel, Pyroblast, Lava Dart, Goblin Sledder... Um, well, not necessarily Lava Dart, but the, the other three, Dispel, Goblin, Sledder, and Pyroblast, they seem a little redundant, uh, at least in the Fairies matchup. 
Do you agree with that? Because it seems like they all kind of are stopping echoing truth and or counterspells. Uh, they do seem a little redundant. So I guess that that definitely is something you want to take into account when when creating your, your sideboard. You don't need that many, especially since they get into... They, they can dis, they can make your combo less consistent if you side in too many. I guess one of the things is that for other matchups, you're going to need a different combination. For instance, you can't use Pyroblast against non-blue decks, but you can use Dispel. That's right. Yeah. And then Goblin Sledder also prevents uh, some of the sweepers like uh, Martyr of Ashes, where Dispel isn't really going to save you. So, Yeah. And actually... Um, I, I I don't use uh, Goblin Sledder. I think that's one of the weaker options of the ones we have. Um, because it's it's something you have to play before you play any of your other cards. And it's it's something that the opponent can see coming. Uh, they can they can try and play around a dispel or a pyroblast, but they'll never know you if you have it or not. And that means they they might, you know, if if you can't go fully off, uh, they might want to wait or or it 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 makes the decision harder. It gives them more chance to make mistakes. Was there anything else you wanted to say about this matchup, Lou? Um, no, it's a tricky one. You need to think a lot. Uh, Get action probe is golden. Uh, I was I was thinking about boarding out. Detection probe, but now I say no, keep the detection probes in. You really need to know what's in their hand. Uh, something that Mono Blue Fairies is going to do sometimes is they're going to mulligan or keep a hand which is all pressure pressure with no counter spells. Mm. Because this is because they panic. Uh, <laughs> because they're up against a, a combo deck that can just win. So uh, th- that's obviously really good for you. Yeah, <laughs> when playing against Storm, I always find that keeping a hand that just has pressure is the best way to lose. I always, yes. I, I've, I've never been able to win a hand with a, with a, with just pressure. You need disruption, I think. Yeah, I mean, optimally, you play a turn one Delver, which flips on turn two, right? Uh, and then on turn two, you play like two uh, Cloud of Fairies or something. And then you attack with the Delver, and or you have three Delvers in play. However you play it, the optimal pressure draw for one of the fairies, you're not going to have enough to kill him until at least turn five. Okay. Which is plenty of time for the combo deck to go off. Yeah. Okay. That makes the, stomp, uh, that makes the um, Delver deck just another aggro deck, which is a very favorable matchup. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but so let's... Let's go on to the, another matchup. Uh, I guess the control version of this. It'll probably be very similar. Uh, the mono blue control, the version that uh, Paul Denton and uh, uh, New Plan use. Uh, it's I've seen it uh, gaining popularity in the in the dailies. Uh, they have mainly card draw and counter spells and a few creatures. Uh, does does the matchup change against them? A little bit. Uh, it's more. It's more up for a control matchup now, since they're going to play draw go. 
uh, and they play Una's Grace and other such instant draw spells. Yep. Uh, it changes a little bit. You need to go off early, or if you see an opening, if they tap out on turn three or something. But it's it's a little more. It's not as difficult. I don't know. It's I have I had problems with it with these matchups because you have to decide if you should just play land draw go against them, but you can't do it forever <laughs> because their optimal hand is going to beat your optimal hand. They're just going to going to counter everything. So you need to find a window to go off. And the best way to do that is either faking going off. Let's say you play a juicy spell like Manamorphose. Or when going off, you play, you have your lands in play. And you go like, I tap my three lands and I play a Seething Song. Mm-hmm. Or I tap my one land and I play a Desperate Ritual. And then after he counters that, you play a Lotus Petal or another land and continue going off. Uh, which is also something that is true for the Delver and all control decks. When you go off, uh, you should try to keep such spells as Lotus Petal and lands in, in your hand for as long as possible. Because that is going to change how they evaluate the spells you're playing. Say you have two mountains in play, you tap them both to play a ritual. Uh, they are... Might put... Uh, counter the ritual. Uh, if they do, you just play another land and continue. If they don't counter the ritual, you have three mana. Now you can play a two mana ritual, which means you have one mana in the pool and one ritual in play, and they don't really want to counter that either. They are screwed if they get into that situation. Therefore, you should... And if they counter the first one or the second one, you have one mana, either zero mana or one mana, then you play a land... And then you can continue to go off, and they have burned their pressure, their counter spell. This is the reason why you don't want these decks to hit four untapped mana. Yeah. Because with four untapped mana, they can afford two counter spells, which makes it really difficult to go off. Because they can just counter the first and the second ritual. And if you don't have a lot of lands in play by this time, you don't really have much to say. Okay. So I guess both this and Delver you want to go off as early as possible. Yeah, yeah and, and any more time you give them, that just gives them time to use their card draw spells. Yes. Which makes sure they have all gas, and, well, you don't. And in that matchup, I would also board up Manamorphose, especially against counter-heavy uh, decks. I would board up Manamorphose, because it's such a tasty card to counter. Okay. Because it, it leaves you down one card, you get no mana, and it doesn't do anything. So... If you're going, if you're gonna try and go off against a a, a, a control deck, you want to have one extra mana uh, in addition to everything that you you need to go off. Yes, uh, if you have, and even if you don't, uh, having one mana is always good. Uh, if, if you do have a counter, you obviously give the mana up. If you don't have the counter, and this is sort of complex, you could bluff having a counter, especially if you've shown them a counter earlier, which makes them hesitate. Mm-hmm. But yes, uh, it's important. And the thing is, if you are in a, such a situation, say you can go off on turn three. They have two untapped lands, but to go off, you need to tap out to play a ritual. And you have no follow-up. In this case, I would not go off, but I would wait at least one turn more, even if that leaves them with four untapped mana to have that counter backup. Okay. Okay. 
All right. Um, let's move on to something else. Uh, cloud post. Does does it change? Does th this is also a control deck, but uh, I think we have a much better uh, matchup against cloud post. Uh, is that true? Yes, I agree. Uh, cloud post is favorable because, favorable because unlike the Delver and to a lesser extent the Mono Blue control deck. Uh, the post does not apply any pressure. Okay. Uh, they play very mana-heavy spells. They The only pr creatures they play are, in rare cases, Steam Core Weird, which is a one-toughness, one-power one creature, Seagate Oracle, which is a one-power creature, Moldrifter, always at least three, which is a two-power creature, and it costs five mana to cast, and Ulamog's Crusher, which is an 8-8, eight, eight, but it costs eight mana to cast. So they have no real early game pressure, which makes the matchup a lot better for us. But how good are they at disrupting uh, the deck? Because they have more more to choose from. Yes, they have more to choose from. They ha but the thing is, Cloudpost have they have some counter spells. They play a few prohibits. They play a few condescend, but they usually don't play more than five or six counterspells main deck. Uh, so that's not a big concern, especially since their biggest mana maker costs uh, comes in play tapped, which is cloud post. <laughs> uh, but they can, however, if they have access to six mana, use Mystical Teachings, which gets any card in their deck that is an instant or a flash card, and puts it in their hand and they get, get Seismic Shudder or Echoing Truth. Mm. So if they have six mana, they pay four for the teachings, and then two mana for the Shudder or Echoing Truth, and you're dead, pretty much, if you don't have an answer to that. Okay, so beware the six mana. Yes, exactly, beware of six mana. Uh, the good thing about Cloud Post is that they have, on turn one, they have no counter spell. On turn two, the only thing they can counter is either a converted mana cost two or less spell, which is most of their spells, uh, in Prohibit, but some days don't play Prohibit, or they can play a Condescend. And Condescend uh, can only counter if you can't pay one mana in that case. And if they aren't untapped on turn two, then you have a free game. They usually, if they can, they tap out on turn two to play a Prophetic Prism. Uh, and then you have a free board. You can just go off if you have a good hand. So they usually tap out. When they tap out, they tap out for things that aren't good against you, like a Muldrifter. Uh, so you need to be aware of six mana, and you also need to note that if they have a Prism in play, uh, they have access to all mana. So you can't think, oh, he has no blue up. So you need to be aware of the Prism. But it, it, it is a favorable matchup. Okay. Okay. Well, let's... Um, I think the... the the cards that we sideboard in are, are very similar. Uh, Hydroblast, Pyroblast, Dispel. Yeah, my deck uh, does not have Hydro, I only have Pyroblast. So okay. I board in Pyroblasts and Dispel. I board out Manamorphose and Bushwhacker, I think. Bushwhacker. Actually. So you think this one doesn't need the Bushwhacker either? Yeah, I, this one definitely doesn't need... I, c I can board out one or two. It's always good to have a quick kill, but it isn't as important, and I really hate drawing two. Okay. So I'm... Actually, on 8-6, no one here of only playing three main thing. Okay. All right. Let's... Um, do you have any questions up to here, Dime? No, I, I do remember reading in some forums and stuff that 
post decks tend to consider this one of their worst matchups. So mm. it pretty much falls in line with what you've been saying. Okay. Yes. Uh, I just remembered, however, that um, some post decks have, for this very occasion, they board four Hydro and four Pyroblasts. Uh, I saw two guys talking about it. Uh, I don't know how good that is. I've never faced a post deck that does this. But I don't think it's that good. Because, as said, they have no pressure. But you need to be wary of some that might pack a lot of hate against you. Okay. Okay, let's go to another deck that has a different way of disrupting. And that's uh, Mono Black Control. Um, I used to think that this was a bad matchup. Because if you lose your cards... Uh, you're in trouble. But I'm not so sure these days. Well, it kind of depends. Uh, there are some different versions of Mono Black Control out right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there is one that plays more removal, more heavy removal, like Tendrils of Corruption. Uh, and that one is geared towards beating aggro decks like Goblins. And there is one that plays... I don't know if everyone played Crypt Rat main, but there are some that play Crypt Rat's main, or at least more than the others, that is geared towards beating us. Okay. But however you slice it, I think this is a good matchup. Uh, especially for 8-6-8-6 deck, since he played Deep Analysis in the board, and those are really good against these guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because they... they... Because of the flashback, right? Uh, yeah, you they, just discard it, and then you pay two mana to draw two cards. It's brilliant. Yeah. But even for my deck, it's a positive matchup. You need you, you can wait some with going off. If I mean, a, a Chittering Rats doesn't hurt that much. And a Firexion Rager is a blank against you. And they have a lot of blank cards in their hand. They have all the removal spells of blanks, pretty much. They can kill a Goblin, which we don't really mind. Um, well, Echoing Decay can be... Yes, that is the Contract. only... The, the, the instant removal spells they have, Echoing Decay is the problem, which is why we board in Lava Darts and Lightning Bolts. Either or, which one we have. And we also board in... And Lava Darts and Lightning Bolt is also good against a, their Crypt Rats. Yeah. And Crypt Rats, does, we have not explained what these cards do. They usually do pay a certain amount of mana. Like Crypt Rats is X. You pay X mana... And then you deal X damage to all creatures and all players. So he just pays one black mana and he wipes the entire board with the Crypt Rats. Because three to play is a 1-1. Okay. So that is why you just Lava Dart it before going off so it does nothing. Yeah. Or Lightning Bolt. But you need you can wait some because, as I said, their cards are not that potent against you. But if they start casting Ravenous Rats and Duress, you need to go off soon, so they don't kill your hand entirely. Yeah. Um, I have one piece of advice against Duress, uh, and, but other, that only works in the Brainstorm version, and that is, if they're going to Duress you, and you have some key cards in your hand, you play the Brainstorm, and you put those key cards back into your deck, and then they can't uh, make you discard them. You hide them. Yeah, that is a very good tactic with the Brainstorm. Also, why Brainstorm is good. Yeah. But it's also difficult. Okay. I don't think there's much more to cover with Mono Black Control. I board out Mana Morphose, as always. It doesn't do very much. Yeah. Um, and one thing that 8686 said 
is that he waits for some backup before going off. And a backup is uh, an extra empty the warrant, usually. Oh, okay. Uh, so they, you go off, as I said, you go off with the bare minimum. Say you have 12 goblins in play, even without a bushwhacker. And you force them to use the Echoing Decay. Okay. And after they've used the Echoing Decay, you go off another time, and then they're empty. Oh, okay. You hope. <laughs> Assuming. <laughs> you know, this is another matchup where Dispel and Lavadart are very useful. I'm wondering if we're, it might not be worth it to just put those in uh, to just I main would... deck instead of Mana Morphos. Well, I've talked about 8686, and uh, he is considering cutting a Mana Morphos for a second Lavadart main deck. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. And he might actually go as far as three Lavadarts main deck. Uh, it could be too much. Uh, it could be good. I don't know. We, we're going to test that. But I would not board in Dispel. Dispel is way too narrow against this deck. Yeah, I guess it is. Okay, let's uh, let's keep moving then. Um, any any questions about this one or any? Actually, I have one add? more thing to add. I just okay. realized eight six eight six has one card in his sideboard, and that is a spell pierce. Spell pierce. He brings, okay. he's been, he brings in spell pierce. It counters a non-creature spell, I think. Yeah. Non-creature spell unless it's control of pays two colorless mana, and that card is there solely to battle duress. Oh, okay, yeah. like first turn, second turn duress. Yes. Okay. I see. Okay. Um, all right. Okay. I just have a question then. Um, so with Avacyn Restored coming out, do you think that the, there's a new card called Outwit that it counters a spell that targets a player for the same cost as Spell Pierce? Do you think that might be able to replace uh, at least that that slot in this deck? Not sure, actually, since the um, Spill Pierce has some other things it can do as well. Uh It can counter... uh, It can also counter Echoing Decay, for example. Uh, I I actually don't think it could. I think it would be a a too narrow sideboard card, since Spill Pierce has some more uses than the other one. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. All right, let's move on to Infect, then. Uh, this combo is versus combo. Combo versus combo. Yeah, this is. Uh, you have to be quick to beat this one. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Um, it is a decent matchup. Uh, they go off quickly, but uh, especially side bo- uh, main board removal such as Lava Dart uh, is extremely good. And a very important thing that I'm going to stress every time we talk about Infect when you have removal is that you should play removal on your turn so the spell they play to protect their creature is wasted. Yeah. It is really important. Uh, Lava Dart is extremely good here. Uh, and 8686 said, I, I go off and then I attack with half my goblins and he can't block because then he'd use, need to use his pump spells. And I tried to attack with half the goblins and keep half the home so he can't alpha strike me with infect. Okay. Uh, 8686, however, said that he raises them. He attacks with all the goblins and he ignores infect entirely. He okay. just ignores all what they're doing except for playing Lemon Art and just play over them. And he has said that he has had some success with this tactic. Now, they, they um, so after boarding, they can play Sandstorm. And uh, even uh, fog to give them another turn. 
Um, I have not seen Fog uh, at all, but I've seen Sandstorm. Yeah. And against either of those two cards, if they have one green mana up and you're suspicious, or you know with Kataxian Probe, you just attack with half your goblins and yep. keep the half back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, well, the, the way they can use Fog is because they, they can also kill you with a single creature. Um, they can just take take what, what might have been lethal and then attack on their turn. Yes. Uh, that's that's why Fog can actually work for this particular deck. That's interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> um, okay. Uh, oh, uh, another thing is uh, sometimes I think you w- might want to definitely just go off uh, even though you won't be able to kill them, uh, just to stop them. Now, you, that's what you do, right? And you're saying 8-6-8-6, he doesn't try that? No, he raises them. He ignores them. And I try to stop their creatures. Okay. I have not really tried his tactic. I I think it's very dependent. It's all one of the things where you need to use experience and think. Yeah. Like, what cards can he have in hand that kills me if I attack with all of them? Can I save? Can I not die if I only attack with half of them? Uh, it's some thinking involved. I, I guess the idea, the idea behind what, what he does is that uh, you're giving them just basically one turn to kill you if you attack with everything, right? Let's say you only have ten goblins. You attack with everything. They only have one turn to, to kill you. So, And if, if you just attack with, say, five, uh, you're giving them more of a chance to to get their combo working. Yeah, in that case, I would attack with, like, eight and leave two back for blocking. But then that still gives them three turns. Well, yes, exactly. It's a problem. Uh, And because I can leave one or two back because the only thing they have that gives trample usually is Rancor. Yeah. Uh, Some of of the Predator strike, uh, but not many. Okay. Uh, Now here, uh, does this spell help in this matchup? Just to stop their pump spells? Yay. Well, they're not <laughs> spells un- and sandstorm. Uh, I. It could work. Uh, I play in my sideboard, I play Curfew mm. mm-hmm. uh, against them because usually I only have one or two creatures in play. Yeah, so th- that one's lesser known. So that one returns, forces each player to return one creature to their hand, right? Yes. Yeah. Because one blue. Yeah. Uh, it's very good against these decks. But uh, this spell could work. Uh, I've not actually tried this spell against this deck. But I, I don't think it's particularly good to counter a pump spell. I mean, they have... It could work. You could still lose. It's a good question. I need yeah. to try. So I, I, I think it's mainly to, to counter their sandstorm. But, yes, you know, but it, can, it, can, it can work both ways. Yes, but add a diver- diversity of countering their pump spells is really good. I mean, countering an invigorate yeah. is extremely yeah. good. Yeah. And the great thing about Curfew is it doesn't actually target their creature, so they can't protect it with anything like Vines of Vastwood. And you can wait until they've dumped a lot of pump spells out and just cast a Curfew and completely nullify everything they did that turn. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they used to play like 20 pump spells and 12 creatures. So it's more <laughs> likely that they have one creature in play. So you yeah, just bounce sure. off that one. The, the only problem there is that if they have two creatures in play, then it's it's basically blank. Yeah, then curfew does nothing. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, I'm actually running out of time here. So let's talk about aggro in general. So Stompy, White Weenie, 
and I guess goblins. goblins. I think maybe even affinity. I think the matchups are very similar against all of these decks. They are pretty much identical. Uh, the thing is against these is that you against all aggro decks is that you wait until they have lethal on the board next turn. So if you pass, they kill you. That is the turn you want to go off. And this usually doesn't happen until turn 4 or 5. So you have a lot of time to play your lands and draw your cards and play your draw spells. You have pretty much, in at least in pauper, infinite time. This is, of course, assuming you don't get the combo before, right? Like, Well, both yes and no. Uh, depending on... I, I, if, even if I say I have the combo in hand, and I have six cards in hand, and I have a comfortable buffer of life. Say, Affinity, I have ten life left, and Affinity has a frog mine in play. Something that doesn't kill me. I need... So one important thing that has killed me several times is that I do not calculate burn spells. Mm. So, say, wait, I can pass the turn, because the goblin player only will put me down to two. And then he puts me down to two, and then comes a chain lightning, and I die. So you okay. need to calculate burn spells. But if I can comfortably pass a turn knowing I will survive unless he has three lightning bolts in hand, and I only have six cards in hand, I will. Because I want to draw the extra card. Okay. Uh, it could be wrong, but I have not lost because of it yet, and I don't actually see any situation where I would lose because of it, that I wouldn't lose by going off the same turn. Okay. But, so, what, like, if you do have all the, all the cards you need to get enough to deal lethal, is there a reason to wait? Like, is, would you want to... Like, just have that extra card just in case it can help? Well, yeah, the only reason is just in case. Uh, otherwise, there is no reason except if they, if you know the deck plays some form of hate. Yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking in the first game, usually they don't have specific hate against Storm, so I would think it, it would make sense to just just go off as soon as you have all the elements you need in your hand. Yeah, you can do that. Uh I usually wait. Uh, it could be wrong. But, it, I mean, when you have all the elements and when they have lethal, it usually comes about the same time. Okay. You, you will never, ever have, like, 16 life against an aggro deck and then have your combo assembled. If, if you are at that situation, they kept a very, very poor hand. Okay. Now, this aggro includes White Weenie... So, Dime, what do you have to say about that? Can you defend your deck of choice here? In this matchup? Yes. Well, it's kind of hard to defend my deck of choice, but I will say that a lot of the White Weenie decks do play Suture Priest in the main board as well as Prismatic Strands, and neither of those are absolutely fantastic, but um, combined with the fact that we're attacking Storm, getting their life total low... uh, having a Suture Priest on the board can sometimes be a pretty strong deterrent against them. And uh, we also have a card called Holy Light out of the sideboard that can wipe uh, the board without, you know, barring any sort of counter magic that they have. Yeah, so for, for against all those cards, uh, you really need disruption. Suture Priest doesn't quite get the job completely done because you only need, um, like, 10 goblins, so that would deal 10 damage. But then with the Bushwhacker, you deal twice that, right? So you can actually get the kill in if all the the White Weenie deck has is one Suture Priest. Right. 
Yeah, I was going to say that White Weenie is one of the more annoying um, aggro decks to handle because, of, as you said, Prismatic Strands and Suture Priest main deck and um, Holy Light from the board. Uh, every aggro deck has a sweeper. I'll just I'll just say this for all the aggro decks. Every aggro deck has a, has a sweeper. They're going to board in against you. Um, so you board in Dispel against some and Lavadrat against the others if you have them. But White Queen is the annoying one because they have three. They have all the different kinds. They have a creature. And a Suture Priest, for those who don't know, when an opponent's creature comes into play, you may have Suture Priest deal one damage to that opponent. And that triggers for every goblin from Empty the Warrens. So if you play ten goblins, you lose ten life. Which is annoying. Especially since Dime says they put on the pressure and have dealt damage to you already. Mm -hmm. That is pretty much what I have to say. Okay. Well, in that case, let's go on to the last two matchups that I want to look at, and that's the Mirror and the other version, the Grixix Storm. Um, I I don't know if they're particularly different or similar, but uh, let's. What are your thoughts, Luke? Well, uh, I'll start with the Grixis Storm, and Grixis is the name for the black, blue, red one. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is because Grixis Storm is a faster version of the deck, but it's a lot more volatile. Uh, it was the first deck that I played in Popper, and it's inspired by the the Perfect Storm decks from other formats, such as Legacy. Mm -hmm. And that is because it pl it plays more mana-efficient rituals. Dark Ritual nets you two mana. You pay one mana and you get three, instead of the red ones where you pay two mana and get three. <laughs> and also they play draw spells. But it's a lot more inconsistent than your deck, because as I explained earlier, and I can go into a little more detail, that they have seven cards in hand and three lands in play. They can decide, now I want to go off, when they have rituals and draw spells. And they start going off, they draw more cards, they draw more rituals, more draw cards, and they hope that they have drawn a Grape Shot, and that when they draw a Grape Shot, they're going to have enough Storm to kill the person. And they normally kill with two Grape Shots. So ten Storm and two Grape Shots. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is faster, because it has, is more mana efficient, but if they play an Empty the Warns, they play Empty the Warns main deck as well, usually, uh, they only play one Bushwhacker. So it's rare that they have the Bushwhacker. So, if they board for Empty the Warrens, if you, can, you can go off the next turn, and there is where the complicated stuff begins with both this and the Mirror. It's, especially in the Mirror, I can leave Grixis Storm, that's pretty much all these to it. You want to go off first. And Grixis Storm is usually a little faster than you, but more volatile, and detection probes shine, because you can scout out if your opponent can go off next turn or not. Uh, but in the mirror, Detection Probe shines here as well. But here it is, first to assemble the combo wins. The problem begins when you have two competent Storm players that play against each other. So one person, say, play the Detection Probe, see that the opponent has the entire combo, from an impulse, for example. Mm -hmm. And uh, he says, damn it, I'm dead next turn. I need to do something to stop this. So he plays... Two rituals and empty the warrants, which gives him eight goblins in total. Yeah. 
Uh, and then he has eight goblins. His opponent needs to have uh, 18 to swing for lethal, which is difficult. So he plays maybe a smaller storm or a half big one, and it's really difficult. The mirror is, as usual, one of the more complicated matches to play. Um, <clears throat> so mirror is the one I have the worst handle on. In both the Grixis Storm and the mirror, I would board out Manamorphose and I would board in Dispel. Okay. Uh, so just Dispel. Uh, what about um, the typical disruption like Seismic Shudder and Echoing Truth? Uh, did, worth? did I even play uh, Shudder or Truth? But 8686 deck plays uh, Shudders. And he boards in this hate. And he plays this matchup. He feels his deck is the best version, and I am inclined to agree. Um, he has a slight edge, but he's also a very good combo player, so that might be the reason, not the deck itself. <laughs> but he has... He sits on his hand, and if he has drawn the hate, he sits on his hand and waits until the opponent flinches and goes off, and he just shudders. Yeah, okay. uh, this... Is, this depends, obviously. Detection Probe is extremely good here. Uh, do, do you think one is better than the other? Like, Deck? strictly better? Seismic Shudder versus Echoing Truth? Because you can play both. I think Shudder is strictly better than Truth. Okay. Because Shudder does, not get, Shudder does not get countered by you killing one of, one of your own goblins. Yes, certainly. Okay. All right. So, I think that's... About it. Uh, are there any additional thoughts you might have uh, in general? No, I would recommend this deck. Uh, I can't actually say for certain which deck I prefer now because I haven't tested 8686 deck. But even if you play, want to play the one with the storage lands, you should try to play Lavender Hearts, at least in the sideboard and one in the main, and see how you like them. They seem to be a real all star. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, what about you, Dime? Uh, any. Any last questions or thoughts? Just a really quick question. In episode two, I believe you you mentioned that you originally played Storm and then you switched to Goblins because you wanted uh, something a little more interactive, something maybe a little more consistent. Uh, I was wondering if your thoughts on that have changed since you've been playing a lot more Storm lately. Uh, well, uh, I can say that I could have made... I made a mistake by going to Goblins. Uh, not because <laughs> I dislike goblins. I really love the goblin deck, but because I am really a combo player at heart. Mm. And I could have found a consistent combo deck by just switching out a few of the cards. But I played the Grixis Storm deck, and I found it to be too volatile. And I just, well, then all combo in Popper doesn't work, and I just threw all of it away and switched to goblins. Mm. But if you feel that the Grixis Storm is incons in, in, inconsistent, too inconsistent, you can just play this deck and have a Consistent, solid uh, combo deck. Okay. So I would. I, I still don't like the, the Grixis one. I there are some good pilots piloting him, and it's actually the more prevalent deck list right now. I think, but it's so high variance. I dislike it. Yeah, do you feel this one is less? You feel this one is more consistent, less high variance, it's less swingy. It's slower and less powerful, but still explosive. Still a good combo deck. So I like this one. Alright then, so I just want to mention one more thing about this deck, and that's its cost. This is one of the more pricey decks. Uh, in the main deck you've got four copies of Lotus Petal, 
This is one of the most expensive cards in the format, and there's no way around it. You need that card. Uh, it's currently selling for around five to six ticks. You also need four Rite of Flame and four Manamorphoses, and you can get those for about two ticks for each playset of four. Um, depending on your version, you need either the eight Depletion Lands, and those are going for between 10 and 12 ticks for all of them, plus the Impulses, which you can get for around 6 to 7 ticks, or you need 4 Brainstorms and 2 Gushes, and uh, those cards cost around 2 ticks each. Um, so with that, you've got a cost that's going to be around between 45 and 55 ticks just for the main deck. Add to that, then in the sideboard you're going to need uh, Hydroblast and Pyroblast, and those uh, cost between 2 and 2.5 ticks. So ex expect to spend at least 6 or 10, between 6 and 10 ticks more, uh, depending on how many of those you want in your sideboard. So all in all, you're probably going to be spending between 50 and 60 ticks for the full deck. Okay, um, I think that is all I have to say. Uh, anything else from you guys? No, I, no? Would, I, I can say I wholeheartedly uh, recommend this to anyone who can afford it and likes to play combo. It's a really fun deck. All right. Okay, then. Well, uh, until next time, uh, thank you for being here, Lov. Thank you. And thank you for being here, Dime. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, don't forget that everyone can reach us at popperscage at gmail.com. Uh, you can leave um, comments in our blog. That's popperscage.blogspot.ca. And uh, you can find us uh, on Magic the Gathering Online. Uh, my username is Gabo Cheeto. Uh, Dime is Bamboo Rush, and Love is... Gr uh, how do you pronounce your username, Love? Uh, all my names are Swedish. Uh, Grusbus. It's G-R-U-S-B-U-S. Grusbus. Okay. All right. So there you are. Uh, see you all till next time.